0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings. And now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right Grace, with the bonus
0: prize money up for grabs, the Pink Bonus Series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to Ladies Who Punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media.
1: Field is ready. They're racing in the oaks.
0: hello and welcome back to another episode of ladies who punt we are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time My name is Fiona Blair and with me today is Grace Ramage. Grace, surprise episode for our listeners because we said last week we weren't going to do a Derby Day episode and here we are.
1: Here we are because it's Derby Day and when we looked at the fields and we thought, (laughs) yes, it's a crazy manic week uh, for everybody, uh, especially with myself and plenty of records and things going on, um, but it's Derby Day and our LWP... Followers and community need to be able to be well equipped with all the information that they need for Derby Day. Three Group Ones this Saturday, the first week of the Melbourne Cup Carnival, the first race meeting of the Melbourne Cup Carnival, and it is just going to be absolutely outstanding. I can't wait to be on course across the four the four days of the carnival, but Derby Day is always the best because you roll in and you're so excited about you know the anticipation is still there and it's um. Not only is it outstanding racing, every single race being a stakes race, but you've also just got that feeling of, all right, well, we've still got the Melbourne Cup barrier draw and final field to be announced later today, and then we've still got Cup Day. And this final day of the Carnival, now the Champions Stakes Sprint and Mile that they've got on that final Saturday is just an an amazing crescendo so uh derby day is the where it's all bubbling and you're super excited and yeah it's gonna be a great day
0: and you're nice and fresh start of the very big week that is cup week at flemington well there's three group ones on the card grace so in this week's episode we will be checking out each of those group ones but before we get into that let's rewind back to last saturday where (laughs) i wanna know how, what was going on <laughs> when Mr. B crossed the line in the Cox
1: plate for you, Grace? Where were you? Who were you with? What was it like? Well, it was a great race, wasn't it? Um, going in, we knew that it was going to be a great race. You know, when we did our preview show, we couldn't, like, there were so many horses that we were saying they deserve to win, they can win, they're absolutely flying. Like, it really was a clash of the Titans of informed horses. Um, And the concluding stages of the race, I was sort of, we were just watching it in the grandstand, um, myself and a whole bunch, JD and Ben and a whole bunch of other people too, uh, quite a few of the owners. And from where we were, which is where we always sit up in the stand, uh, he was looming up the inside and he was in the sunlight, Mr. B, and Romantic Warrior uh, was in the shade. And all we could see was Mr. B just storming up the inside, in <laughs> basking in the glow of the sun, um, paying no attention to any other horse. But seriously, on the angle that we watched it, it looked like he won by full head. So um, we had mm-hmm. no idea that there was a photo finish. We had no idea that it was as close as it was. We just thought Mr. B had won. And we celebrated for a, a good 30 seconds 45 seconds accordingly um until you know one by one we were brought attention to like the big screen where all the hong kong guys were cheering we're just like hang on what (laughs) wait what and it was dead set one of the most shattering gut-wrenching feelings but um all in all he did the most Proudest thing he could ever have done for everybody involved in the stable. And also not only that, you know, hearing stories afterwards of people saying that they were so excited for Mr. B. Everyone thought he won. Like the only time I've seen him not win is the photo finish. Every other replay, every other angle, he's won. You know, everyone was so excited for Mr. B to have won. So he really is the people's horse. Um, and he's done everybody so proud. However, Romantic Warrior, he was definitely the one to beat, in my opinion, and for him to have won a Cox plate, absolutely amazing. Like, he's so deserving of that. He's an absolute champion. And one more thing on the Cox plate fee I've watched the replay a million times and I've looked at some of the racing photos, which is really cool. <laughs> From Mr. B and Romantic Warrior on the line, all the way back to Militarize. Uh, so I think there's eight horses in that tight group. It only spanned a couple of lengths. There's 30 Group 1 wins represented in that photo. So it was just a great race. It was it was amazing, and we're so proud of Mr. B to have showed everybody what he's capable of, and hopefully he can do it next year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was incredible I was watching uh, from the couch my mum was visiting over from New Zealand and I had my husband Adrian next to me and uh, we thought it won and we went absolutely ballistic watching it on the tally. Adrian was almost in tears Mum was like oh. what is going on she's not interested in racing at all and then the slow-mo went and we were like oh no and then the photo mm-hmm. came up and oh it was absolute devastation I got I was so upset my mum's like, mm. you shouldn't be watching this. If this is if this is how much of a toll it takes on you, I can't believe it. You shouldn't be watching this. This isn't good for you. And I was like, Mum, this is what he's Like, he did a good job. He he got second. And I was like, Mum, that's not how racing works. <laughs> there's no silver medal. Oh, no, there's no silver medal. Um,
1: so there's it not. was.
0: It, it's no silver medal, but. You know, he was incredible. And I think, you know, your sentiments are right. so proud of what he did. And I know that the racing public in Australia is, as a as a whole, incredibly proud of him to be, mm-hmm. you know, the local horse that, that very nearly beat out the international. But incredible yep. race, incredible race. And let's hope we see Mr. B lighting up again next year, uh, all going to plan. The other horse we have to talk about, Grace, is uh, Imperatrice, who is – Very quickly starting to be referred to as the black caviar of our generation. Not undefeated like black caviar, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. uh, an incredibly talented mare we have on our hands.
1: Yeah, she is an absolute superstar. She is a world-class sprinter. She has to be. Um, Can't wait to see her on that final day of the Melbourne Cup Carnival again down the straight because she's sort of been... um, you know, she's had quite a few starts now at the Valley, especially last Saturday in the Group 1 Manikado Stakes. It was definitely a case of, you know, other contenders saying, mm, no, we're not going to run against you, so we're going to find other options. So she's scaring them away, but she won't in the final day of the Carnival, on the final day of the Carnival in the Champion Sprint. So that'll be a high-quality field, and we'll get to see her, um, you know, have to take on some more competition. But I've no doubt that she's still the one to beat, and she's still going to most likely beat them because, yeah, she's just like – freakish what she's doing she's not even hardly being asked over the concluding stages she's just toweling her opposition up at this stage so yeah the world is her oyster and i'm super excited to see like where she continues to progress to so last week we had our
0: cox plate tipping comp and i have to say i've been a little bit uh busy in the last week so i haven't been able to get up the winner on our social media accounts but i've just gone through the spreadsheet and calculated everybody's scores and so i can confirm that our winner is jane wood who managed to pick the winner of all four legs got the quaddy and i checked to make sure it wasn't just all favorites and she managed to they and they weren't and
1: she managed to get the perfect score grace how good is that that is absolutely amazing well done jane that is incredible because um you know, Archo Nacho winning the last race. He had a chance, but for me that race was way too hard. Like it was there was plenty of different, um, you know, form lines and plenty of nice three year olds that were lining up. So for Jane to have identified him as the winner and the other three legs as well, uh, that's amazing. Incredible. On Cox Plate Day, mm-hmm. it doesn't get much better than that.
0: I know. Doesn't get much better than that. I hope she had the quaddie uh, in in her betting account too. (laughs) Would Mm -hmm. have been very good. Um, So Jane wins the $50 cash prize this week. And if you are keen to play along in our tipping comp, which has been incredibly popular with our members, all you have to do is sign up to our Ladies Who Punt members community. You can find a link to that in the show notes. The last thing we have to chat about, Grace, before we get into the three group ones is our next race day meetup, which uh, we put a vote up on our Ladies Who Punt social club Facebook group as to which meeting uh, people would most likely want to go to in November. And the Claire favorite was Friday the 24th of November at the Valley. So a Friday night lights meeting. It's not a particularly high class race card, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun we can uh just catch up enjoy the races and our last one at the valley was for moya Stakes night and that was so much fun just the the friday night atmosphere at the valley is just awesome so uh we will be putting that in our newsletter this week with an rsvp so if you are keen to catch up uh that's going to be our next race day meetup
1: uh-huh for anyone who hasn't yet heard of our new Ladies Who Members Club, there is so much on offer, launched only in the past month, of course. Um, amazing benefits. My personal favorite, our brand new exciting tipping competition.
0: Yes, Grace, the tipping comp has been so popular with a $50 cash prize every week, but there's so much more on offer for our members. Mm -hmm. You get our exclusive members newsletter each and every Friday, which has extra tips from you, which have been going very well in the last few weeks, (laughs) as well as my form indicators for the group one races. We offer ad free episodes of the podcast so you can get everything straight to your ears without the ads. And we also offer free merch to people that sign up to our Members Club. So, you can either sign up monthly for $15 or annually for 180. Lots of fun to be had. Can't wait to have you on board.
1: Yeah, and it's just a great chance for people to also show their support to what we're trying to achieve in Lady Soup Punt. Uh, it's our passion project. And we would love for you to come on board with our new Lady Soup Punt Members Club. Uh.
0: Now, Grace, it's time to get into the three group ones. We have the Cornwall Stud Stakes race six for the three-year-olds, the set weights over 1,200 metres down the Flemington Strait. We have race seven, which is the derby for the three-year-olds over 2,500 metres. And then race eight is the Empire Rose for the fillies and mares over the mile, which is a wait-for-age contest. So plenty of nice races on Derby Day. It is, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of this, but it's considered one of the best days, if not the best day of racing on the calendar in Australia, mm-hmm. isn't it, Grace?
1: Absolutely. It's... um this this race day, Derby Day, is the one that's got every race on the card is a stakes race and is a, a great race in itself, a target race. You know, this whole time, this whole spring carnival, we've been talking on LWP about the lead-ups and horses that are progressing towards their grand finals and, are, you know, following certain pathways. This is it. This is the grand final day, as was the Cox Plate last Saturday, as will be the Melbourne Cup on Tuesday. Um, so it is the peak of the spring carnival the 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 derby day kicking off the melbourne cup week and it used to be four group ones on this day so traditionally there's always been a 10 race card for group ones the group one only in the last couple of years that they have moved from derby day was the cantala which was a 1600 meter handicap Um, but they took it off derby day and repurposed it as a wait-for-age mile on the final day so that they could bolster that final day and make that a three-group-one final day. So... That's why we've only got the three group ones on Derby Day now and a nine-race card, Um, but it means that we also have a three-group one final day, and that has, for me, been an unbelievable decision because you've got all the Cox Plate horses and Imperatries and all the Manicado horses now having another grand final um, target race on the final day, so you get to see all of them again. In the past, Cox Plate horses after the Cox Plate We'll just go to the paddock. That was sort of it for them.
0: Um, Mm. But now we get
1: to see them all again, which is so exciting. And the other thing about Derby Day is if you didn't know and if you are planning on attending, you have to wear black and white because that is the traditional um, any Derby anywhere is black and white. Well, you don't have to do it, but that's the recommended dress code. So there'll be plenty of black and white and variations of that this Saturday.
0: Okay, let's start with the Coolmore Stud Steaks. Group one, for for the three-year-olds, over 1,200 metres. Before we get into the market and the field, I just wanted to highlight how much of a stallion-making race this race is, Grace. Off the top of your head, who are some of the stallions that you know have come through the Coolmore
1: and then gone on to stud careers? Home Affairs two years ago. Uh, Brazen Bow. Mm -hmm. um. Well, Sunlight and In Secret was a recent Phillies to have won. But um, Chris Waller has had five of the last ten um, – he's had five of the last ten Coolmore Sud Stakes winners, and I cannot think of them off the top of my head right now, but I swear most of them were stallions. <laughs> you tell me, Fee. All I can think of Let is – um, in... yeah, Let Yeah, you p- go through. I'll
0: pull up the list. From my quick Google, Zoo Stars One mm-hmm. Merchant Navy – Flying yes, arts, obvious. Sea yes. Star Witness. Yes. hmm They're probably the most well known recent within the last twenty years. Um so yeah, yep. an incredible honours role on the in this race and it is a race that is targeted by buyers and syndicators who are keen to make a stallion. Um, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of James Heron Bloodstock, who has two runners in this race. So I also thought we would take a look at the sale mail for this race because... Good idea. We talked about sale mail a couple of weeks ago, um, and it's by breeding. It's an incredibly interesting resource. And what they do is they go through the fields of, I think, basically every race in Australia and New Zealand, mm-hmm. and they will tell mm-hmm. you the feel, in the field, what each horse was purchased for. So in these types of races, the big stallion-making races, we see those really high-priced yearlings that have been bought purely for their pedigree and, and obviously on their type, hoping that they will make it to races like this. So for the Coolmore Stud Stakes, the most expensive purchase
1: on the list. Uh, can I guess?
0: Oh, go for it.
1: I'm gonna say number three, Don Corleone. No. Not number three. Oh, he was six hundred
0: fifty thousand. Okay. Top okay, pick. Tell me was the most was number eight, Snapback, eight hundred and twenty-five thousand from the Gold Coast Yelling Sale. The horse mm-hmm. with the lowest price tag in the race is number ten. I am unstoppable. Trained by wow. Lloyd Kennywell and late Lucy yeoman's who we had on the podcast just a few months ago. So, and also, how exciting! If Lucy can get a Group One win on oh my God, Saturday, and Lloyd, of course, as well. But mostly Lucy. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, it would be so amazing for Lucy if she was to win her first Group One in the Coolmore Sud Stakes with a son of I Am Invincible. It's so interesting that uh, he was the cheapest buy because we're so used to I Am Invincible, who is the leading one of the leading stallions in Australia, making hundreds of thousands of dollars for every single yearling or, or progeny that goes through a sales ring, but. This one being so cheap, clearly there must have been something that made every single big buyer say, I, this horse is not for me. Maybe it was a vet concern, maybe mm. it was a confirmation concern. For whatever reason, he voluntarily well and truly slipped through the cracks and it's a great example of how sometimes what people when people are buying horses and we spoke about this through our yielding sales um season and, and in episodes talking to around bloodstock you can do all the things through vet checks and having a look at confirmation and making sure everything to you is is a grade to be able to minimize risk that something will go wrong but then there are still horses that you might cross off your list like i'm unstoppable that come out and are perfectly fine with whatever confirmation fault or vet problem there was so amazing for connections to have secured him for that price and now having a chance in a group one Coolmore more side stakes you said about james harran and the fact that he's got two runners in this or his cult syndicate it's worth mentioning that um henry field and the newgate china horse club um their cult syndicate they've got three runners osmosis snapback and don corleone wow. racing in their silks Um, And we've also got Cylinder for Godolphin, who he has been knocking on the door for a Group 1 win. But, you know, for a lot of these horses that haven't got that Group 1 to their name, like Cylinder in particular, um, maybe also Kings Gambit and Don Corleone, these horses, they need a Group 1 and they need to win the Stud Stakes to be able to cement themselves as, you know, write your own ticket for how much they're worth as stallions in the future. So, your everything you've said is absolutely right. There is so much on the line for not only this race but for these horses stallion prospects going forward.
0: Well, with that in mind, Grace, let's take a look at the market. And Cylinder, who you've just mentioned, is, has been knocking on the door and been ultra consistent. This prep is the favorite at $3.80. And then we move down to Shinzo, the golden slipper winner at $6.50. And then in the third line of betting, we have Kings Gambit at $8.50. Before we start looking at the runners in depth, Grace, what can we expect um, from the speed map this week I guess a question that pops into mind straight away for me is down the straight how much does the speed map factor it
1: it's a really good question because we've got a big field here down the Flemington Strait and we're going to be seeing a lot of Flemington Strait racing over the next you know four days of the Melbourne Cup Carnival um, it's really important for me the way the best way to explain it is If you've got a back marker, a horse that from whatever barrier they jump from, they're always going to get towards the rear of the field. And you think about horses going around a circle and the fact that jockeys want cover and that jockeys want to get their horse relaxed. They don't want to sit five deep abreast going around the circle and covering so much extra ground. So then you think about your back marker and how much ground from the leader they have to concede to slot in for cover and get an economical run you know depending on the field size if this race with 19 horses accepted was at Caulfield or at Moonee Valley around the circle um you know back markers would be well, 10 lengths off the leader at the top of the straight if not more however when you're talking about the straight track it is the absolute perfect setup for back markers because they don't have to worry about going so far back to 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 get cover and get an economical run. They can literally jump, land, and be comfy, and sometimes they're only two lengths off the leader. So when you're talking about the Flemington straight, for me, I'm always thinking, right, who's the back marker here? Because they are now going to get their chance to be close enough and within striking distance to win, as opposed to other times when they might just be rattling home, but it's all over. So uh, that is... When I'm looking at the speed map, there's obviously always going to be horses that want to put want to race on speed and are going to be facing the breeze. It could be five or six of them, um, but for the backmarkers, it's so important. It's a massive advantage, Flemington straight racing for backmarkers because they don't have to get so far back.
0: Okay, so how is it shaping up in the Coolmore Stud Stakes? Who's going to be going sort of forward, I guess, or like who's going to be taking up the the lead or wanting to set the tempo?
1: Two main horses for mine that are going to be. Uh, up there and sort of making the running and have all the horses sort of f- falling into place behind them or, or off them. The first of those is drawn low in Salui from barrier number five. So you're probably going to have the likes of King's Gambit, Don Corleone, um, maybe even Stepati, uh Shinzo sort of trying to find a spot lining up behind or around Siloui. And then the other one drawn wide that I think is going to probably go forward and, you know, be facing the breeze is Butch Cassidy from Barrier 19. And that's the sort of line out wider that you can have v8 um maybe iron unstoppable stretton angel those sort of horses uh trying to find a spot around or behind him so they're sort of the two main speed horses but obviously when you're racing in a straight line there's going to be others that are facing the breeze as well but in terms of the way the race is going to be run because it's a Coolmore Stud stakes i don't think they're gonna and there's so much intent and there's so much on the line i don't think they're gonna sit up and sprint home i think um that jockeys will be certainly you know getting getting their mount up and going um, from about the 800 metre mark to be really giving their all over the concluding stages so I think it's going to be a hot contest um, every horse should get their chance.
0: Yeah and the I guess the other important thing to talk about in terms of straight racing is is the barriers so how you know like in, when we're going around a bend the barriers can play a huge role for those who are wide and wanting to go forward from the Coolmore stud Stakes, like Butch Cassidy. Is it less of a problem if you draw a wide barrier doing running down the straight at flemington
1: yeah 100 percent wide barriers um don't really matter down the straight it's just more about where the speed is like often and to be honest there's no there's no rule when it comes to how races are best run down the straight there used to be sort of a a um a pattern where wide draws were really good but it's the last year or so, it's been really um, chopping and changing. But you do want to make sure because horses can – the fields can split as well. That's another thing. Like you can have one going down mm. um, the the rail side and one going down the grandstand side. You want to be in the right group. Like you, you don't want to be detached from the leader. So you just want to have, I suppose, the speed around you so that you are within – the right race within the race if that makes sense so um your barriers in terms of what number you draw isn't too much of a concern at all horses can win from any barrier along the straight but you do want to be where the main race is going to be racing okay so Let's talk about
0: the horses themselves now, Grace. Who would you like to talk about first?
1: Well, let's talk about Shinzo and also Cylinder because these are the two horses, Mm -hmm. Saddlecloth number one and two highest rated horses in the field for the three-year-olds that have both come through the absolute A form line, which was the Everest last start. So they took on the best of the best sprinters in Australia in the Everest as three-year-olds where they, under the weight for age conditions, got the lightweight. The Everest this year was a relatively cruisy, slowly run race and a real dash home. Um, By Everest standards, it was not uh, a fast run, genuine pace. Therefore, if you go back and watch the race, the horses that sort of settled towards the top of the field, so those in the first half, were definitely best suited as opposed to those towards the rear. rear cylinder. Uh, he was just behind the speed and he finished right on the heels of the, 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 the winner in the second horse Shinzo, on the other hand, he was a long way back and he made up some ground, but to the eye, it probably wasn't as good as cylinders run. But to me, there wasn't really that much between those two Colts in that race. If you swapped their positions in run, I think that you probably swapped their results the key for me hmm. about these two horses Shinzo and Cylinder two things firstly Cylinder has been in everything like he has he won his first race um for the campaign back at Caulfield in August so he's had four really big runs obviously he was third up in the Golden Rose which he was only narrowly beaten by Militarise. that was a grand final for him then he went again in the Everest another grand final for him now he comes back down to Melbourne for a cool more stud stakes I don't think we're going to see Cylinder go to the next level he's already shown us what he's capable of this preparation that's his mark and it's a bloody good mark there's no doubt about that but can Shinzo improve more than him for me Yes. Shinzo's only had two starts this preparation. He went first up in the Golden Rose, where he was good, but considering he was first up fourteen hundred meters in a golden rose, like another stallion making race, he was then in that Everest where he was towards the rear of the field and sort of dashed up and wasn't really given a great chance in running, given that the way the race was run. Now he's third up in a coolmore side stakes ready to peak. James McDonald on Barry Four is fine. The key is that he is the back marker of the field that I'm now like, yes, you get Mm -hmm. your chance because you don't have to be lengths and lengths and lengths behind Cylinder here. You can basically be two lengths off him. You know, they're going to be a different size of the track. Cylinder's drawn 14 and Shinzo's drawn four. But instead of being, um, you know, having to find your formation, get cover, be so far back, Shinzo can just be right on the heels or, or three pairs back, blending in somewhere and within striking distance so of those two at the top of betting, no doubt they bring the best form lines for me it's all about shinzo
0: i think both of these horses are confusing me and that's you know for the points that you've raised cylinder rock hard fit has he come to the end of his prep you know that was a great run on the everest he's been running so well all preparation and now he's fifth up they're taking the blinkers off like you're right, can he improve much of what he's done? But then Shinzo, I was with Shinzo in the Golden Slipper and was so happy to see him win. I think he's a really interesting sort of quirky horse and I really love watching him run, but I'm not convinced he's done enough to make me confident this prep. Um, you know, leading into the Golden Slipper, he was running second or first into, into that race and was really firing. This time... He's been running sort of midfield and yeah, he's not had the best luck, but I just feel like I'm not seeing the class that I saw last preparation. And this whole prep has been a little bit funny. Like he's raced and then he's had a trial and then he's raced again. And I've just seen, Grace, that he now also has synthetic hoof filler going in for the first time. And to me, like, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on feet, but. That is like to me saying something's not quite right here. Um, Things haven't quite gone to plan or there's been something along the way that's been a little bit of a hiccup maybe in this preparation. And yeah, I'm just not as confident this time as I was with him going into the golden slipper.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah that they're all fair points definitely but the way that you're interpreting it is different to the way that I am. I love those jump outs. Yeah. I love that they said we're going to go first mm-hmm. up golden rose. We've already won. We've already won the golden slipper. We don't need to win a golden rose like we're going to go first up golden rose. We're going to go to the Everest. And then we're going to be peaking third up for the Coolmore stud stakes, which, if you win a golden slipper as a 1200 meter horse, then you win a Coolmore stud stakes. Um, You know, Coolmore and Chris Waller did it with Home Affairs, uh, winning the Coolmore two years ago, coming out of the Everest. So they know the exact pathway, the exact program that these Mm. three year old Colts need to go from an Everest back down to Melbourne for a Coolmore stud stakes. I agree that he hasn't, um, he's not screaming, I'm the winner of the Coolmore this preparation. But I just have so much faith in what this horse did in the Golden Slipper. At only his fourth start, to suggest that we have not seen true. the best of him yet. This preparation, like he's for me, he's going to go to his peak on Saturday, and that peak is good enough to win, and I think will win. That's the other thing about the Coolmore is you'll probably hear me a few times talking about it. I'm looking for a horse that's going to go to the career peak or or prep peak this race as we were looking with the cox plate you want a horse that's going to keep on progressing to hit their new peak mr brightside hit his new peak in the cox plate that's how you win big races by having a horse that's ready to explode on that day and just getting to the top of the mountain rather than coming back down the other side i
0: think the other thing that is also a query for me for both of these horses is that they've not run down the flemington straight before either which Mm -hmm. is we know Flemington Straight Racing is sort of a specialty type of racing. It could bamboozle them a little bit on race day, but they're very classy horses. I think they're both classy enough to probably overcome that, but just an interesting thing to to keep in mind. What about that Caulfield Guineas form line? Do you think mm-hmm. any of those horses uh, can make their mark on Saturday in the Coolmore
1: Stud Stakes? So interesting that we've got three horses that all ran really well in the Caulfield Guineas, 1,600 metres, Three weeks ago, now dropping back to a Coolmore stud stakes over 1200 meters up the straight. Uh, it's been done before. However, what about this group of horses? Well, I'm just not convinced to be honest. um If V8 or Stepardi or She Light is the other one, are winning the Coolmore stud stakes, then a lot of other horses that I've got big opinions of have not gone anywhere near the level that I'm expecting them to go. Um, Probably of those three, the one that's probably still got the most X factor and the most um, ability to continue to surprise is Stepardi, because he went into the Corfield Guinea's unbeaten. You cannot knock his twelve hundred meter runs, like he's all class, all upside, showing that he's got so much um, you know, excitement factor left in him about what he could possibly do. So he probably wouldn't surprise of those three, because we might step back and go, Whoa, this horse is an absolute rocket. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm actually veering away from that Caulfield Guineas form line. On paper, I just don't think that that's the right form line.
0: Right. And I have just noted as well that VA and Steparty both have the blinkers on for the first time, which is a pretty, uh, when you're stepping back and trap with the blinkers on, is showing a lot of intent from the trainers, isn't it, Grace?
1: Yeah, it's about trying to get them that sharpness, um, that concentration so that, out of the barriers, it's not just like, oh, yep, we're going to go around and we're going to get going after about a 1,000 metres and we're going to build and run 1,600 metres. It's like, right, this is 1,200 metres down the straight. They're going to, the Scamp is going to be on. So let's get that f- absolute focus from the get-go um, to have them sharp and switched on to be able to sprint fast over the 1,200 metres. King
0: Scamper is third and bidding grace behind Shinzo and Cylinder. And he actually does have some straight experience. He raced down the straight two starts ago to in the Poseidon Stakes, a listed race where he ran third, and I thought over-raced a little bit in the early stages. So I think that may have affected uh, his finishing position. So he's had that experience, he's had a look, he comes back down for the Coolmore Stud Stakes after a win in the Group 2 Roman Console. What did you make of that win last start? I thought maybe he had quite an easy run coming up the inside rail, what was your interpretation of that race?
1: My interpretation of that race is that that was a monster win, and that this horse has got okay so much ability. He has got, he is so sharp. So, um, he has got an 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 electric turn of foot. Like he can quicken so like he's gonna win two hundred meter contests all day every day. Like this horse is just very very fast. He can sprint fast. He can let down quickly. Um, and he's got tons and tons of sprinting ability. However, what he does not have is great mental fortitude (laughs) because he (laughs) has so many quirks and he always has. So this horse, they, they've done a great job, Peter and Paul Snowden, the trainers of King's Gambit, to get him to a point where he's winning because um, he won on debut at Caulfield in unbelievable time. Everyone's saying, well, this is this could be the new black caviar. This horse is, um, this young two-year-old on debut it looks like anything. Um, but then in two starts in Sydney leading into a golden slipper, he had melted in the mounting yard, just completely all of his um, ability to, you know, win the race prior to the race because he just completely melted down got hot wasn't concentrating and then he gets to a golden slipper where he sits off a fast tempo which suits him he doesn't get keen fierce hard going horses technically theoretically um, when they're on a fast tempo they get to relax because they're not having to fight they're not saying hey you're going too slow i want to get going they're already going so they can relax and they can finish off better that's what we saw from him in the golden slipper last autumn where he finished third behind shinzo and Cylinder. So um, that was a great run from that horse. Now, first up down the straight this time. Love the preparation this horse has had leading into the Coolmore Stud Stakes, by the way, because he's seen the straight. That was obviously something they wanted to do. If you go back and watch this horse's replay, right, he was $3.40 into $2.90 um, at Flemington in the Poseidon Stakes. If you go back and watch the replay, he, out of the barriers, is drops his head, is absolutely traveling like a nice horse just trucking on the bridle and you're like, oh, this is all looking good. And then if you have a look, King's Gambit spots a seagull just hanging out on the track and at that point he absolutely loses it and he starts (laughs) like reefing his head around and just freaks out because of the seagull. (laughs) And from there, he starts over racing terribly, and it all just goes pear shaped for him. He runs third uh, to Archo Nacho on that occasion. Uh, And it's funny, I only witnessed, I only spotted that when I watched the replay a few times. So then he goes back up to Sydney, and he has a really good jump out, and then he wins the Roman console stakes by sitting off a slow tempo up the inside and being able to finish off really well. So that was the massive indicator that, right, this horse is learning what it's all about. Every time he goes around, he's becoming more and more mature, more and more professional. Um, And then we see that he had a jump out alongside Shinzo and a couple of other horses at Flemington to see the straight again last week. And again, he's just cruising in behind them, and he's finishing off strongly. So if he doesn't melt down in the mounting yard, if the race day doesn't the experience doesn't become too much for him and if he doesn't spot any seagulls There's no seagulls <laughs> I think that he has got a great winning chance in the Cornwall stud stakes
0: I can't wait to re-watch that replay and and see the seagull incident because it certainly uh slipped my notice watching it last mm-hmm. night uh that's so funny but you know it's it's surprising more horses don't get tripped up by that sort of thing to be honest like they are always looking for something to you know yeah they're they're always so animals they're spooky animals so I guess that's we can we can forgive him for that and I am really excited to see him go around one I wanted to pick your brain on Grace was Stretton Angel one of the fillies in this race so she one last start in the Dane Hill group two. She beat I Am Unstoppable there. What do you think about her chances? I thought perhaps she could be a top three.
1: I agree with you. I think that of the fillies in the race, she's definitely my pick. Um and the reason for my thinking here is that she's only had four starts for an angel. She's had two starts this preparation and two starts last preparation as a two-year-old and back when she had her first two starts she showed heaps and heaps of ability she was always um out the back and rocketing home when on those race shapes she probably wasn't entitled to be going so close so she's always shown that she's got that x factor she's got that really good turn of foot and that sprint on her and then her two runs back this campaign have been really good she was great in the capped on teams first up of a fast tempo got just maybe a tiny bit tired in the last um, you know 200 meters on the clock but still narrowly beaten there and then she comes and beats i'm unstoppable and the boys in the dane hill stakes, um, last start as well and her last 200 there was great definitely a horse that i think hits their peak in the coolmore stud stakes and we just don't know how good she is yet so i think that of the fillies she's the one that i want to be with and wouldn't be surprised to see her finish first four for sure
0: grace how Uh, you positioned for this race is this a popcorn race for you or are you looking at supporting a a horse in this what is what is your thinking here
1: yep my thinking is that i'm definitely going to be betting and i definitely want to be with the horse that is going to be um peaking having their career peak prep peak here on saturday so the ones that i'm siding with is shinzo king's gambit stretton angel something each way And another horse that we haven't spoken about yet called Arkansas Kid because he is one that we have not seen the best of him yet this preparation, but we will on Saturday. Whether that best is good enough, still don't really know, but he's got form around Shinzo and Cylinder last preparation um, and he's he's had plenty of setbacks this campaign. I think we see him go to his best level this Saturday. And that could certainly be a top three finish. So they're the they're the ones that I want to be with. And I'm sort of against Cylinder, which might come back to be a stupid thing to say, just because he's had so many <laughs> peaks already this campaign. Like he's definitely a class horse. He deserves to be right at the top of the market. But I just think others that are already going close to his mark will now go to a new mark.
0: I guess with Cylinder, like I struggle with horses who have the opportunity and it doesn't come through. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. Yep. it makes me question. It makes me question whether they can get the job done. I guess. Um, and of course, like if everything goes perfectly for him, I'm sure he could. But like, will he is the thing with Cylinder. I really like all of those horses you mentioned. I think I, after your chat about King Gambit, I reckon I might follow him this time. Yep. Well, let's go on to race seven, which is the Derby, the race of the card. It's for the three-year-olds over 2,500 meters. Group one, a big grand final for the staying three-year-olds. Let's take a look at the market. First up, we have number four, Riff Rocket at $2.15. Then we move to number one, Apulia at $4. And then in the third line of betting, number two, Verdad. So when I approached this race, Grace, I had a look at the form first and then sort of looked at the market later and was sort of surprised to see Riff Rocket as the favourite in this race. Let's talk about him first. What do you think of his performances leading into the derby and and how that positions him for Saturday?
1: Well, Riff Rocket is the one that um, since two starts ago when he won in absolutely scintillating fashion at Flemington in the listed superimpose over 1800 meters he's the one that's been touted as the derby winner um and that win that i spoke about was absolutely breathtaking there's no doubt that riff rocket um has got plenty of x factor that he's got an amazing sprint on him and that he is going to be a powerhouse you know staying type of horse going forward and in the future last start He clashed quite a few of these horses at Caulfield in the Neds Classic at 2,000 metres two weeks ago, and he finished second to Sunsets. But I have to explain that if you go and look at the sectional times of this race... They absolutely walked through the first half, and this was just a sprint home. So the fact that it was over 2,000 metres, like it wasn't really a race. It was just a sprint home. Sunset sat outside mm-hmm. the leader on that occasion, up on speed. Riff Rocket was in behind, but it was just a case of who's got the best turn of foot, who's got the best sprint on them. Um, we saw Apulia towards the rear of that field finish off okay, but he couldn't have done much more really where he was positioned in the run considering how slowly they went. So it certainly favored horses on speed, which was Sunsets who won narrowly ahead of Riff Rocket. Cannot really uh, say that that was a poor performance by any horse in that race because of how slow they went. The late splits for Riff Rocket and Sunsets were both still good on the day. Really good, in fact. Like They were coming home pretty much as good as 1,400-meter, 1,200-meter horses were on the day. So I'm putting a line through... You know, the fact that Roof Rocket finished second there and was beaten there because, you know, it wasn't a true reflection on his ability. The question, though, for Roof Rocket is can he stay 2,500 metres? Is this horse bred for a stamina? Or is this horse showing great abundance of speed at around the mile, maybe Mm. 2,000 meters? That's the question that we don't have the answer to yet, but we do know that if this was going to be a sit-and-sprint, and um, and they were asked to dash up like last 600 meters, that Riff Rocket would probably beat home Apulia, because Apulia is a sort of horse that is destined for stamina all day, every day. The question is, can can Riff Rocket, the the short-price favorite here, stay 2,500 meters, we just don't know yet. I think he's still the one to beat, given that he has not done much wrong this preparation, but it is it is certainly a question mark.
0: Yeah, and I guess this is where the importance of the speed map comes in. Riff Rocket, have we seen him on in a race with that type of tempo that Vidad might set on Saturday?
1: We've only seen him on a fast tempo, once and that was back on debut at geelong in a maiden where he won so that was over 1225 meters um but it was a good performance and everything since then has been a slow or an even tempo so uh we haven't quite seen it yet i don't think they're going to go hard in this race but they're also, not just going to sit up until 600 meters to go and dash home. So they'll they'll all save their petrol early. You know they'll be going pretty slowly through the first half of the race. But then once we get around the 1,800, we're going to see this race turn on, and we're going to see um, at Flemington as well, like massive difference to Caulfield and Moonee Valley. Um, every horse is going to get their chance. To it's going to really suit the horse that is going to be strong at the end of 2,500 meters.
0: So who do you think this contest is between? Is it just Riff Rocket and Apulia, two different horses? Like Who else is putting their hand up for this race?
1: I quite liked Sunset's um, because he has also not really done anything wrong at all. And I think 2,500 metres should be okay for him, son of Dundee. However, Barrier 16 is absolutely awful because he is going to have to go all the way back to get cover. Same thing as what we are talking about earlier. He's going to concede so much ground to get an economical run in transit for the 2,500 metres. It's going to make his task extremely difficult to, you know, make up that ground and get past horses like Apulia and Riff Rocket who are going to be lengths ahead of him in the run. Um, outside of the ones that we've spoken about, to be honest, I'd be absolutely shocked if anything else was to win. This is not a strong edition of the Derby at all. There's plenty of horses in this that are coming out of you know inferior, very inferior form lines, but that doesn't mean that they don't deserve their chance because you know they might just be really good stamina horses. But ultimately, we've got quite a few horse, well, a handful of horses at the top of betting who definitely deserve to be there and look to have a big class edge on the rest of the field. Um, I think Apulia is super interesting because this is going to be his third Saturday racing in a row. But the first of those Saturdays was in the Riff Rocket Sunsets race where they just walked and sprinted home. So the Sable are sort of of the opinion that that was essentially just like a track gallop. He could go again next saturday which was last saturday in the mooney valley vase but then that was a really really fast run race and he was very strong late, showing that he has stamina in spades so how does he bounce out of that now into a derby again that's another query but um uh, the team's pretty confident that he is going super and has pulled up really well and i think um i think apulia and roof rocket are the two for me there's different horses um, and it could be a ding-dong battle between them up the straight they've both drawn low so expect them to be in the first half of the field
0: okay let's move on to the last of the group ones on the saturday it is the empire rose stakes race eight for the fillies and mares over the mile a wait for age contest looking at the market it's a pretty wide open field we have number four a tissue as the favorite Uh, She didn't start as favorite, that was actually Alcohol Free, who is now in the second line of betting at $6.50. And then we have Princess Grace also at $6.50. And then number three, Hope In Your Heart at $8. Interesting action going on in the market, Grace, from the market opening. What does the speed map look like for this race?
1: The speed map for the Empire Rose Stakes is crucial because I think that if you identify what's happening in the speed map here, you are then very much pointed in the direction of the type of horse that is needed to win this race. The reason I say that is we've got two horses here, number 10, Pride of Jenny, and number 11, Deny Knowledge, that only know one way, and that is to go forward and to go really, (laughs) really fast. So to have both of these horses up with each other, eyeballing each other, like I don't understand how that's going to work in terms of, Declan Bates on Pride of Jenny and Jamie Curran deny Knowledge, like one of them's going to have to lead the other one. But whichever one does lead, I know the instructions of the connections will be make this a a staying test over the 1600 metres. Both of those horses um, have got a really good sustained speed rather than a turn of foot, like we've spoken a little bit about, like they're better bowling than sprinting. Um, So it's going to be a fast run race. And what that means for me, 1600 metres Flemington Plenty of pace on paper is I want a stamina horse. I want a horse that's strong at the end of 1600 meters and, you know, has even got form over 2000 meters. Um, I don't want a horse that's, you know, borderline a query at the mile. Um, I'm looking for a one, I'm looking for the mare or the filly that's got abundance of um, strong 1600 meter form. And there's a couple in this race that don't have that and there's a couple that do. So that's the way I'm seeing the speed map.
0: Okay, well, who are the ones that don't, who people might be looking at?
1: Princess Grace and Alcohol Free, for me, are both genuine queries at the end of this race, how strong they're going to be. Princess Grace was super disappointing last start. There's no way to look at it. Um, she was way back in grade. She was a very short price favourite, and she was beaten over um, the 1,400 metres at Flemington. That was a little while ago. She's sort of been reset for this, and prior to that, her runs against – you know mr brightside and in group one's really good class races earlier in the spring they were really good but they were in slow run races where she was dashing up and dashing home um Mm. i'm not convinced about her at 1600 meters and i'm not convinced about her on this speed on this tempo and the other one is alcohol free um She was okay last Saturday in the invitation. Um, So she's doing a seven-day backup going from Sydney down to Melbourne. So that in itself is some sort of a query. She, no doubt her European form is the best in this race. She's a multiple group one winner. But um, some of that form, like a group one in the July Cup, over 1,200 metres. It's just 1,600 metres at the end of what's going to be a hot tempo and last saturday in the invitation she was on speed they didn't go very hard and her late splits were actually among the slowest of the race so it's not like she was you know charging through the line she was actually getting a bit tired so for those two horses to be six dollars fifty on the second line of betting i don't think either of them will win so i'm playing around them and trying to find some value
0: I guess for me, alcohol-free, she was such a boom horse last spring. I remember talking about her and we were all excited for her to come out and, you know, show us what she could do here in Australia. And she just has not delivered on that on that boom, I guess. You know, she's not quite got there since she's been here. So she's definitely one that I'm like, I feel like you can't be with her based off, yep. you know, what she's shown since she's been in Australia. Princess Grace is an interesting one for me because – She has won over the 1,700 four times. Grace, I know you're sort of looking for 2,000, and yes, her last start was quite disappointing back in grade. Um, I was trackside that day and was sort of shocked at how she was looking in the mounting yard. She looked, her coat looked a bit dry. It wasn't, you know, coming through. For a horse that was fourth up, I was really expecting her physically to look in peak condition. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised you know I don't think she was at her physical best that day so I'm not surprised to see a gap in runs uh, from that race but what that does make me think is has she taken that physical improvement from that race you know having a few quiet weeks you know it's a little bit later in the season now her coach should be coming through a lot better um, towards the end of spring Maybe she's made that improvement. I'm really interested to see what she looks like in the mountain yard. But I do echo your sentiments like where she's been performing is when the, the pace has been slow early. I'd probably prefer her over alcohol-free, though, I have to say at this point. Mm. Now, yep. I guess the next thing is to talk about is... Who are the horses that do match your form profile of being successful over, you know, the 2000 having that more staying
1: profile? It's a tissue. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> I think that she's going to win this race. I think it's two horses, really. Well, there's actually three, maybe four. But mainly it's number four, A Tissue. And the second one that I like is Hope In Your Heart, number three. Um, a Tissue is the $6 favorite, Hope In Your Heart at $8. Um, and then you've also got number six, Foxy Frieda, and number seven, Renaissance Woman at $31 and $26 that I think are going to be really well suited by the way that this race is run. The reason for that is that all of these horses are at their best at 2000 well very strong at the end of a strong run 16 and can run a strong 2000 meters and also they're all back markers and for me that's where i want my horse to be i don't want wishlaw lass who's going to be chasing this hot speed i don't want um you know anything that's going to be working to get across and then having to to settle in behind, deny knowledge and pride of Jenny and get tired late. I'm looking for those horses that are going to be midfield or worse, that are going to balance up and use the entire Flemington straight to um, you know, finish off really strongly and show that they've got plenty of stamina. So a tissue, she won the Matriarch over 2,000 metres this time last year, uh, which is on the final day of the Carnival. She's been set for this race. She's fourth up. She gets James McDonald, barrier eight. Perfect. Blend in, midfield or worse. Uh, she's the one for me. Hope in heart cannot knock everything she's done she's racing seven group ones and raced really well yet to win one so she's totally deserving barrier one would have been a concern had it they been walking up front here but um that she'll get a really soft run in transit and pick a path through and be strong late and then we know foxy frida um you know she's a high class 2000 meter horse She similar sort of situation for a, as a tissue she'll get back and be finishing off strongly and renaissance woman is um you know she was very good in in oaks and and on the way through i think she's another stamina horse that might be able to bob up at a price here as well so they're the ones that i'm sort of looking at um in terms of the two leaders, Pride of Jenny has been $26 into 19 and Deny Knowledge is $61 out to $67. Out of those two, Deny Knowledge, if you actually go back and have a look at what she did against Alligator Blood last start, she led Alligator Blood by lengths. And, like, that's a pretty tough task to do. But she went so hard in that race. And, yeah, she got tired late, but she didn't bomb out. She still finished midfield. Like, she beat home... A heap of good quality horses. So, you know, of those two leaders, I think deny knowledge is a ridiculous price. Look, I don't think she's gonna to finish top three, but they're gonna they know what she needs to do to bring out her best and she can still be competitive in this race.
0: Let's not forget she's also won over twenty two hundred metres. So there's some sort yeah. of like staying well not staying but you know like she she gets out over a a bit of a trip
1: last start versus alligator blood that was over 2000 meters and she only finished midfield like she didn't bomb out so you're 100 percent right um of those two on speed horses i think deny knowledge is going to be suited by their tactics and she might be able to make her presence felt here it'd be a shock at the end of uh, at the end of the flemington straight to see her still in front but um, they know what they're doing with her and she's got stamina to be able to to have the tactics implemented in her favor. The
0: other thing I wanted to talk about with a tissue, like I, I love a tissue, I would love for her to win this race. I am concerned maybe she's a little bit better on a, on a softer track, Grace. And like a few of these 2000 meter horses that you you've highlighted, like that seems to be the case. They even hope in your heart, she sort of likes the soft. Foxy Frieda likes the soft. The only one out of the ones you've listed that has the best record on the good is Renaissance Woman. But, you know, like Flemington is a very well-maintained track. Like, it will be good. So do, do you think that's something we need to take into account? Or do you think it's it's purely because they can get that extra distance that that's still going to put them, that's going to help them overcome maybe their soft track form.
1: I think that if this was going to be on a soft track, I'd be piling into a tissue twice as much. But it's she's a superior wet tracker, <laughs> no doubt, but she's still capable on good tracks, and that's the difference. Um, you know, and same as Hope In Your Heart, superior wet tracker, but she's still capable on good tracks. Like her run in the King Charles Hope In Your Heart last start, which was on a, essentially a firm two track, was still very very good and her last 200 was exceptional so they can totally still do it on good tracks while they are superior wet trackers
0: who are you with in this race or are you just watching
1: no i'm i'm with a tissue but it's definitely a first four sort of a race for me because i'm taking on two horses mm-hmm. that are right at the top of the market so um i find that you know if i can land the first four here it could pay It could, like, if a tissue, Renaissance Woman, um, Hope in Your Heart, and Foxy Frieda, if they all lob in the first four, then I'll be celebrating. (laughs) So um, I feel like it's it's an exotic sort of a, a race for me, but a tissue is my main selection in the race.
0: Yeah, I think I'm just going to go each way on a tissue. And I think you're right. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a chance for an for an exotic bit. And I have been really enjoying the trifectas the last few weeks. So yes. but I might do a little bit more studying before I put those together. So for now, it's an each way on a tissue. Grace, we have covered some very high class races for Saturday on Derby Day. It's going to be an incredible day of racing, like you said every race on the card is at stakes level, which is just incredible. Now, after Saturday, our attention moves very quickly to the Melbourne Cup because we have the Melbourne Cup barrier draw on Sunday morning, and then the market will be out probably around midday, I'm assuming. And you and I will be recording some time after that amongst all of your other media commitments. Just to sort of give a little bit of perspective on time and how quickly this year has gone this time last year like today grace we were recording our melbourne cup special last year so just for a little fun fact for our listeners tomorrow Mm -hmm. is duncan's first birthday
1: yay how exciting (laughs)
0: is that I know, but how fast has that year gone? Yeah. Like we Incredible. were talking about, oh, after the Melbourne Cup, that's it. The, the podcast will be taking a break because I'll have a newborn baby. And yeah. now tomorrow he's one year old. So it's absolutely flowing. I can't believe we're back at the Melbourne Cup already, but it's going to be a very big episode because we do our Melbourne Cup uh, special a little bit differently, don't we, Grace? Why don't you explain mm-hmm. how how we do do that uh, for preview
1: we're going to take a look at every single runner in the race so it's a runner by runner preview for the Melbourne Cup and we weigh up the cons and the uh, the pros and the cons for each and every one of those horses and then ultimately find the ones that we want to or we think can win the race or finish top three because the Melbourne Cup um, not only is it a great betting race you can find plenty of chances at a price but it's a great race for exotics as well finding those four, first fours um, you know you can have six horses in your first four and try and nail it. So uh, that's gonna be the aim of our episode for the Melbourne Cup special.
0: Yeah, and so many sweepstakes going on at workplaces around mm-hmm. the country for the Melbourne Cup. So if you have a, a workplace sweepstake and you know you just want to know how your runner's gonna go, you might not know much about them. There's so many horses to know in the Melbourne Cup, you can just tune into our episode and hear all about your runner as well as everything else so you'll know sort of what kind of chance your horse has and yeah feel free to share that episode with people within your workplace who may not have that much knowledge of racing and want to know more based on which horse they pull for the sweepstakes so It's going to be a big one. We're going to have to do a lot of homework, Grace, um, but really excited to sit down and chat about that one. So you can probably expect that episode to be out maybe late Sunday night, early Monday morning. It's going to be a very quick turnaround in terms of us recording, editing, and then the race actually running. So make sure you uh, allocate a little bit of time on Monday to check that episode out. And good luck on Derby Day, and we will catch you very soon.